welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for our next lesson in our series over the book of John. John is a powerful book that shows us who Jesus is. So we're calling this series, Who I Am. Through seven signs and seven powerful I Am statements, as well as through Jesus' life and death, we can see that Jesus is God. And as God, He offers eternal life to those who believe. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope that you enjoy this lesson. All right, turn your Bibles to John. Turning your Bibles to John. We are going to finish out John chapter 13. Or I should say, go grab your Bibles. And then turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. Last week, as you guys know, we did the foot washing. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. We are in the last days of Jesus uh, before He's crucified, buried, and rises again. And as we talked about last week, chapters 13... 14, 15, 16, uh, 17. This is all in a very, very short period of time. Um, So John is very unique in the way that he does that. And so uh, we're going to see that. Today we're going to see they're still at the supper. And we're going to see that Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment. And we're going to look at that new commandment. We're going to look at some other things as well because the new commandment is only in a couple verses there in verse 34 and 35. And so we'll look at that commandment, but we're also going to look at um, just the narrative as he goes along through it. So let's read it. We're going to le- read verses 21, we'll say through like 28, 29, somewhere in there uh, to start with. So look at it with me. It says, When Jesus had said these things, he became troubled in spirit. And he testified, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know which of them he was speaking, about which one of them he was speaking. Lying on his back, uh, lying back on Jesus' chest was one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter nodded to this disciple and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom you're speaking. And he simply leaned back on Jesus' chest and he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered them, That man is the one whom I shall dip a piece of bread and give it to him. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after this, Satan entered him. Therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do it quickly. Now, none of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some of them were assuming that since Judas kept the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, Buy some things that we need for the feast, or else that he was going to give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he left immediately, and it was night. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you, and uh, we thank you for this day you've given to us. Thank you for all you've done for us. Just pray that as we go uh, through your word, God, that we see truths of your word, and we'd be able to apply them in our in our lives, God. Um, thank you for all you've done for us, and thank you for giving us the freedom and the opportunity to gather here together, God. We love you, and we pray all this through Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so today, um, we didn't read it yet, but we're going to see this new commandment uh, that Jesus gives to his disciples and I think to us as well. Uh, We've already seen that he's exampled or shown an example of the command that he's going to give. 
And so the question I have for you, the command, we're going to see it, but it's going to be to love other people, okay? And so the question that I have for you guys is how do you show love to each other, okay? Or how do you show love to other people? Okay? Do you show love to these other people, or how do you do it, okay? And we're going to think about that. When I was uh, younger, uh, I used to play basketball a lot more than I do now. Now when I play, I break my hand, so I don't play as often. But... I used to play, and I used to play like pickup games with my brother Caleb. Okay, how many of you guys know who Caleb is or have met him? Okay, a lot of you, right? He's the tall, linky guy that comes out to the high school campouts. Okay, so Caleb and me used to play like pickup games or dunk ball or whatever, and me and Caleb are very different people. Okay, and so when whenever I played like sports of any kind, like I always did better if I was challenged. Okay, so like if a coach yelled at me or like got mad at me, or like really got in my face and challenged me, it inspired me to do better, right? Okay, how many of you guys are like that? Okay, a couple of you. Okay, well that's just how I am, okay? They get mad at me, they yell at me, man, it makes me want to even do better. Okay, my brother Caleb, on the other hand, he needed, he's like a words of encouragement guy, so he needs to be encouraged to do better, and I didn't understand this. Okay, how many of you guys are like words people, like you like to be encouraged by words, okay? So... Whenever me and Caleb would play on a team, okay, the way that I would encourage him to do better was yelling at him, getting mad at him, okay, and being like, Caleb, you're, you're stinking it up, like, let's do better here, like, we can win this, you got to do better, you're terrible at this game, you know, stuff like that, and uh, it, it did not motivate him to do better, in fact, he did worse and worse and worse, and years into doing this, I realized that I needed to be nice to him. To get him to do better and so eventually I would say Caleb you know you're doing a really good job that was a really good shot kind of like calm and stuff and he'd actually play better which makes no sense to me because if somebody did that to me I'd be like okay like I, I want to be motivated okay but the reason I share that uh, to you guys is because today we're going to see a, a passage we're going to see a command a new command that's not entirely new but a new command from Jesus to love one another and when we think about this command Okay, we need to think about not how I would want to be loved, but how they would want to be loved. Because Jesus showed love to people based on their needs, what they needed. Okay? And sometimes we show love to people based on what we want or desire. And it can even be selfish sometimes. So we'll be thinking about that as we go through this. We'll get to that point in just a second. Uh, but first, let's look at this kind of this narrative about Judas. Okay? The first thing we see is the troubled. Okay, how Jesus is troubled. Okay, this is verses, what we just read, 21 all the way to 30. Okay, but look at it. It says, When Jesus had said these things, he became troubled in spirit. Okay, and he testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And we looked at this last week a little bit, and just how he is, uh, he's troubled in spirit, how he's, I don't want to say worrying, that's a bad word, but he's distressed. That Greek word, like distress, is kind of what it goes rooted in or what it goes back to. And so, He's distressed, and we saw last week that he he knows that the hour's coming. If you look at 13, verse 1, okay, he knew that the end is near, okay, and he still knows that, so he's troubled about the spiritual uh, things he's going to go through. He's going to be separated from the Father, right? I think he's also troubled about the physical part of it, too, right? He's human. He's going to feel things. Okay, and the crucifixion is not going to be fun. And we see later on in the garden that he's troubled. Uh, this is a troubling time for Jesus. And so 
that troubling spirit, that troubling thought in his mind inspires him to say that someone will betray him. And, you know, why, why do you say this? Why do you say that somebody's going to betray him? Um, there could be several reasons, but one is the, the Scriptures say that, some, that one of his own would betray him, right? And it says also that the later on the disciples understood some of these things. We looked at that last week, remember? And so the disciples understood some of these things after he died and rose again. So he tells them this, and we're going to see they don't really get all of it, uh, but eventually they would. And there is a truth here, too, uh, that we can think about. Uh, and this is, Jesus understands and knows that somebody's going to betray him before the disciples know it. And, I mean, Judas, Judas already knows it, but he, before that, they, they can't comprehend it. And Jesus knows it. And Jesus is, like, humanly speaking, he's not supposed to know that yet, right? Like, Judas hasn't done anything to betray him yet. He, he's not humanly supposed to know that. But Jesus does know that. And I think that just gives us a, a small, simple truth, kind of a side note, but a small, simple truth that Jesus knows everything, right? And he knows what's going on in our hearts. Okay? He knew what was going on in Judas's heart, okay, before uh, Judas had even done anything, right? And so... It's just kind of a small truth as we go through it. But continue looking at it. verse 22. It says, The disciples began looking at another one, one another at a loss to know what, which one he was speaking of. Okay, so the disciples looked around and like, well, we don't know who's going to betray him. And, and something I thought of this week, um, with this whole betrayal thing, like, Jesus said somebody's going to betray him. But he doesn't explain what that means, right? And so we're always like, at least me, whenever I read this passage, I know what he means by Judas is going to betray, right? Because I've read the end. I know the end story. And so part of me wonders if the disciples didn't even know what he really meant by betray. You know what I mean? Surely they didn't at least grasp every part of what that betrayal was, which might lead to some of their confusion, right? Maybe they didn't completely understand um, everything that Judas was going to do. I don't know. But I just thought of that. And, I, and you see that they're confused here, they don't know who he's going to talk about, and then they're confused later on, because look at it, it's, uh, verse 23, uh, lying back on Jesus' chest is one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Now when he says that, that's himself, which seems kind of funny, right? Uh, generally, you know, you don't refer to yourself as the one whom Jesus loved, but John does, so he's the one who Jesus loved, so he's laying back on Jesus, and Simon Peter, who is curious, okay, he like signals to John, look at it in verse 24, he says, so Simon Peter nodded to this disciple, and he said to him, tell us uh, whom it is whom, of whom he's speaking. So basically Simon Peter's like, hey, figure out who it is, John. Figure out. We want to know who it is that's going to betray him. We want to figure this out. So uh, John, who's leaning back on Jesus' chest, he says to him, Lord, who is it? And Lord, who is it? He just asks him straight up. And Jesus, and this is, this is what's confusing to me. Uh, it's not confusing, but it's like interesting because Jesus tells him who it is. Right? And they still don't get it. And that's part of the reason why I'm like, Maybe they didn't even understand completely what the betrayal was. But look at it. Uh, it looks in verse 26. It says, Jesus answered and said, That man is one whom I shall dip a piece of bread and give it to him. So he dipped the piece of bread and he took it and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after this, Satan entered him. And therefore Jesus said to him, What you are doing, do it quickly. So Jesus offers Judas a piece of bread. And a lot of people think that, and I think I agree that, this is kind of symbolic of Jesus, you know, showing and offering him love, okay? Even though he's a sinner, um, you know, we know that he's going to betray him. Jesus knows he's going to betray him. But uh, that offering of saying, hey, you know, Judas, 
you know, I love you still and that kind of thing. And uh, So anyway, that's just something to think about, something you can, you can kind of go into on your own there. Because uh, Jesus does love Judas still, right? Even though that's hard to believe, he does, right? Uh, and he still desires him uh, to believe in him for eternal life. And I don't know, it's just something you can look at in there in the offering of the bread and kind of the symbolics there. But uh, So he offers him the bread. He says, go do whatever you're going to do. Go do it quickly. And then these, the rest of the disciples in verse 29, it says, For some of them were assuming that Judas, since he kept the money box, was saying to him, Go buy things that we need for the feast. Okay? Or else he was going to give something to the poor. So after he received the piece of bread, he left immediately, and it was night. Okay, So it's that night, and uh, Jesus says, Judas, go do what you're going to do quickly. And the disciples are like, I wonder what he's going to do. And this is why I don't think they understand the, like completely what the betrayal is. Because he just said that Judas was going to betray. or I mean, he indicated that, right, at least. Okay, that Judas was going to betray him. And then they don't, they don't know where he's going or what he's doing. Uh, but he keeps the money box. Some of them are like, well, he must be going to get something that we need or going to give something to the poor. Anyway, they don't understand it, which is the point. Okay, they don't understand uh, that what Judas is doing. Okay, and here's another little nugget of truth, I think, that we can see from this is Jesus knows everything even though we don't. Okay, The disciples, they didn't understand everything. They didn't know, under, know everything. They didn't know what Judas was going to go do. They didn't get it all, but Jesus did. right? Jesus understood what Judas was doing. He understood what was going to happen. He understood the future. He understood the heart of Judas. He understands everything, right? And so it's another nugget of truth that I think we can get out of this first section is that Jesus knows everything even though we don't know everything. Okay. And that can play in a little bit even uh, to this next part. But next, I want to look at the Old and New Commandment because now that Judas is gone, Jesus gives a little bit of teaching, okay? Uh, and it's really good. So I'm going to read verses 31 through 35, and then we're going to look at the Old, co- or the old um, Command versus the New Command. Okay, look at it. It says, Therefore, when he had left, Jesus said, So Judas is gone. Now it's just the rest of the disciples. He says, Now the Son of Man... Is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and he will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am still with you a little longer. You will look for me, just as I said to the Jews. Now and I also say it to you. Where I am going, you cannot come. I am giving you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So first, uh, we're going to look at the old command because he says that he gave us a new commandment. Okay, so that that means that there must be an old commandment, right? Because it's a new commandment, right? So we're going to look at the old commandment. As we go through it, though, I want to look at this first section, like verse 31 and 32. He talks about glorification again. And remember John 12, which we'll look at in a second. He just talked about this. Okay, it says, therefore, when he left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. Okay, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Jesus, right? So he's going to be glorified. Son of Man, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be glorified. And God, okay, is glorified. That's in him. Okay, that's talking about God the Father, right? God the Father is going to be glorified in the Son. Okay, and if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself uh, in himself and will glorify him immediately. So we're talking about this this start of this glorification process, right? So, Jesus is going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to raise again in three days. Okay? And he's going to be glorified. Okay, but, remember, uh, this is just like a couple weeks ago. I don't remember how many weeks. 
Remember, Jesus says in John 12, 28, he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came down out of heaven. And what did it say? It says, I both have glorified it, past tense, and I will glorify it, future tense, again. And remember how we talked about that even since the, the creation of the world, God is glorified. And even the Son is glorified in creation because he was creator. Right? And so he was glorified, he is glorified, and he will be glorified. Okay? So not only is this immediate, which you see right there at the end of the verse, immediately he's going to be glorified. Not only is there this immediate glorification coming of Jesus dying, being buried, rising again, and being glorified okay, through that, and the Father being glorified through that, Okay. Also, he is always, always has, and always will be glorified because he's God. Okay. Um, and so, John said, or Jesus says, this time is coming where I'm about to be glorified in this. Okay. And in verse 33, my little children, I'm still with you for a little while longer. You will look for me, just as I said to the Jews, and now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. So he says to him, you can't come. And Simon Peter's going to ask him about this in just a second. So we'll talk about it in a little bit. Um, and you know, eventually, these most of these disciples they do follow Jesus in death, but they don't do it right here, and they don't do it in the same way because they they can't redeem the world through their death, right? Um, only Jesus can do that, and so we'll talk about that in a second. But after that, in verse thirty-four it says, "I'm giving you a new commandment." Okay, so that new commandment indicates that there's an old commandment. So where is that, and what is it? Okay, Leviticus nineteen eighteen. I think this is one of the spots where you can find the Old Commandment. It says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Old Commandment, as we'll see, is not completely different than the New Commandment. Okay, But the New Commandment is expounded and exampled in Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. Okay, So this is the Old Commandment. The Old Commandment was love. Your neighbor as who? Yourself. As yourself. Okay, and this could, again, tie into... Now, John doesn't go into this, so we're not going to go into it a lot, but this could tie in with the New Covenant. All right, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in that day. I took them by the hand and bring them out of the land of Egypt, and my covenant which they broke, although... I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this covenant, which I will make with the house of Israel after these uh, days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart, and I will write it on it. And And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they will not teach each other, each man his neighbor, and each uh, man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will know me. And from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive the iniquity and the sin I will remember no more. And we know in Luke... Okay, even though it's not in John, uh, in the same way, Luke says uh, at this, this time period uh, where Jesus is talking with his disciples, says in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten and said, this cup which is poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. So the uh, new command could be maybe tied in with the new covenant. Okay, But there is the old command, and it is very similar to the new command. But in the new command, it is exampled and expounded on, which is what we're going to spend time looking at today. Okay, We're going to look at the new command, and we're going to do something a little bit different. Okay, We're going to see the new command first, and then we're going to look how Jesus, we're going to look at some of how Jesus exampled it uh, in the Scripture. Okay, And I think, I don't know, we'll see. It'll be fun, I think, for me anyway. Maybe not for you guys, but. In verse 40, 34, look at it. It says, I'm giving you a new commandment. What is that commandment? That you love one another. 
Okay, that, that so far is the exact same as the old commandment, right? That you love one another. But look at the end. Okay, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you have loved one for another. So Jesus says the new commandment isn't to love people as you love yourself, but it's to love people as I have shown you, as I have exampled for you. I have loved you. That's how you're going to love, or that's how you should love people. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples or my followers. Okay? And I love this because, you know, there's such a contrast in Scripture of sanctification and salvation, right? There's such a contest, contrast in Scripture of being a believer and a follower, right? You believe in Jesus for eternal life and you get it. But here he's saying, but if you want to be known as a follower, okay, not only one who believes, but one who also is following me in your daily life, you need to be loving one another. So how did Jesus do this? Okay, sometimes I wish that the Gospels had more of Jesus' life in them. Because uh, really, if you think about it, there's really like basically three years of his life, right? And it's focused on his ministry and different angles and aspects of that ministry in the four different Gospels. But even in the small glimpse that we have of Jesus through the Scriptures, we can see his love for people. And the love that he has for people is not something that it stays internal. It's something that is expressed in action. Okay? And so we're going to go through several different passages, and we're going to look at it. The first one, I don't have the whole thing up here on the board because it's really long. But it's John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Okay, we talked about this a long time ago. But I see this as Jesus' love because here he is talking to this Samaritan sinner. And what is his clear desire for this Samaritan sinner? Salvation, right? Like he wants this lady to believe. And to me that shows so much love. Look at it. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is, that saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So what this love for people did is it caused Jesus to evangelize. Okay, and not only to the people that he liked or that like were people he should like, okay, but also to a Samaritan sinner. Okay, and a Samaritan town that ends up believing in him as the Messiah. And so to me, I'm like, this shows Jesus' love, like he didn't even have to stop at that well. He didn't have to share the gospel with that lady, but he did, okay, because he loved her. And so his love caused him to evangelize. This is, uh, I think it shows his spiritual compassion for people, and it leads him to prayer. This is Matthew 9, 36 and 38, or 36, 37 and 38. It says, Seeing the people, he, Jesus, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Now, he's not talking about physically. They were all scattered like without a shepherd. He's talking about spiritually. Okay, and he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord. What does that mean, to beseech the Lord? Pray to God ask him. Pray to God. Okay, pray to God ask him for something. So beseech the Lord of the harvest to send workers for the harvest. So Jesus sees the people. He has compassion on them okay, because they're spiritually blind. Okay, Setting aside the, the whole fact that he's teaching and preaching and trying to bring them to himself like setting that aside he prays and tells his disciples to pray that more people would be sent out 
so that more people would come to him. So his love for people caused him to pray for people. Okay, and we see, and here pretty soon we're going to see one of his best, or they call it the high priestly prayer, one of his longest prayers we see in Scripture in chapter 17. But his love for people caused him to pray. Okay, he had compassion on them, he loved them, and he prayed for them. This is kind of spiritual and physical, right? We saw this last week. But his love for people caused him to serve people. This is in chapter 13, verse John, chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garment, and taking a towel, he girded himself. He poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel which with he was girded. So he sees here the disciples, and he sees their dirty feet, and no one's washed them yet, and he takes up the towel. And he washes people's feet. His love for his disciples caused them to serve him. And you could also add on to this one and teach them. Because if you go on in the passes, he teaches them. And so his love for the disciples caused him not only to serve them, and and we talked about that last week, so we don't want to talk about it again. But, you know, be dirty and take the lowest job. He not only caused them to do that, but also caused them to teach them because he wanted them to grow. Right? And so his love for them caused him to serve them. Okay, here's another one. And this one you can find, this is Mark 8, 1 through 3. Uh, you can also find this in Matthew 15, 32 through 36. And uh, in this we see a physical compassion from Jesus for the physical needs of someone else, and he provides for them. So he loves people by providing for them. Okay, this is Mark 8. It says, In those days there was a, again a, a large crowd. And they had nothing to eat. And Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have had nothing to eat. And I sent, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come a great distance. And here we see Jesus' love for the people and what he does about it. He provides for them. And sometimes... But sometimes I think that we read through the scriptures, at least I do, I read through the scriptures and like, I see these things, but I don't see them. Like, I don't, I don't really see how much Jesus really did love people. Okay? Especially if we're like visual or whatever. Like, we may just skim over some of this stuff. And it's like, yeah, Jesus fed the 5,000. Okay, but why did he feed the 5,000? Because he loved them. And you know what? I don't know this. This is just pure speculation. But some of these people might be some of the people that were crying in the crowds, crucify him later on. And if they were, Jesus would know that. Okay? Because we know that there were huge, huge crowds. You know, 5,000, some people think 5,000 men, 20,000 people here. Okay? And Jesus loved these people, okay, enough to provide for them. He didn't have to do that, He didn't have to care about them. That wasn't His job to feed them. Okay? None of, he didn't have to do any of this, but He had. What? Compassion for them. He loved them. And it caused him to do something about it and provide for them. And, and I'm not expecting any of you to make bread out of more bread out of no bread, essentially. But the point is that Jesus felt compassion, loved people, and he did something about it. Okay? He didn't just sit there and say, I love people. He did something about it. Okay? Here's another one. 
Uh, this is a physical need again. Uh, we we talked about this, and this is in John chapter six. We talked about it uh, several weeks ago, but John chapter six, eighteen through twenty-one. You guys remember the story of the account of him, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee. Remember, and they get scared, okay, and they have a they have a physical need. So the sea begins to stir up because a strong wind was blowing. And then when they had rowed out about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they said, uh, sorry, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land at which they were going. So the disciples here have a need. And remember in Mark it said uh, Jesus was going to pass them by. Remember he's like walking like he's going to pass them by. And they call to him. You know, they think he's a ghost. You know, that's in the other Gospels. And these guys are scared. They think they're going to die. And what does Jesus do? He physically saves them, right, essentially. He just he goes out there, he calms the sea, and then they're immediately where they need to go. And, again, Jesus didn't have to do that. He could have left them on their own. Uh, maybe they weren't going to die. Maybe they are going to get through it. And Jesus could have said, well, they can get through it on their own. But seeing their terror, seeing their fear, he gets into the boat, he calms the storm. Okay, and... I think that sh- that shows his protection, and he protects people because he loves them. And if you guys want to th- think about his protection and his teaching, just go back to where he teaches about the sheep, right? And like John chapter nine and ten, the end of nine and beginning of ten, we talked about that for a long time. It's just how Jesus protects his, his own, right? And he does it because he loves us. He loves us, and so it's again Jesus' love for people causing him to act, right? Okay, here's another one. This is in Mark 1, 29 through 35, and we see that his love for people causes him to heal. It says, And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came to the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her, and he came and he raised her up, taking her by the hand, and her fever left her, and she waited on him. So first, he shows compassion and love for Simon, that's Peter, Peter's mother-in-law. Okay, So he shows compassion. And that's a really hard thing to do, to show love to mother-in-laws. And you guys will understand that one day. But he does it. Okay? It's not his mother-in-law, though. He shows... That, that joke really didn't land well. <laughs> that, was a, that was an older joke. Uh, an older crowd joke. Didn't land that well. But that's a great... I like it. I do have a great mother-in-law. Janet, if you're listening to this, I love you. So... All right, all right, but he heals her. Okay? He, he loves not only Simon, okay, but also Simon's mother-in-law, and he heals her. And he shows love to Simon. He shows love to his mother-in-law. And then look at this. When evening came, and this is, this is one of my favorite passages about Jesus, because you really, like, if you really think about what's going on here, like, it, it shows how much Jesus loves people. Okay, look at it. It says, when evening came, so he just healed her, now it's kind of the evening coming on. Uh, after the sun has set, so it's getting dark out already, okay? they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. So he heals the mother-in-law, right? She's no longer got a fever. She serves them, probably serves them dinner, whatever. And it starts to get dark out. And then people start coming to his house, or not his house, but the house where he's at, Simon's house. And people start bringing people to get healed, okay? And look at it. The whole city had gathered at the door. So there's this huge crowd of people. It's not a huge city, I don't think, but still a lot of people here. Okay? And they're gathered at Simon's front door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out demons. 
and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Okay, so he does this, what seems to be like, for a long time. So he heals people, sick people, casts out demons, okay, because he loves those people for a long time. He didn't even start till it got dark. And the whole the whole city's there. So this is gonna this isn't like at least it doesn't seem to indicate that he said, All of you are well, go on your way. Right? It seems like he's healing one after the other of these people, right? That seems to be the flow. So this would have taken a while. So he's up late, and I'm sure he's exhausted because he's dealing with people, and people are hard to deal with in general, right? And he's healing these people, okay? And what does it say? Early in the morning, when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there, okay? So even though Jesus had something that he should do early in the morning, okay, he spent a part of the night, all I don't know how much of the night, with people healing them. Why? Because he loved them. Because he loves people. Okay? And he doesn't just sit there and say, I love people. The love for people causes him to do things. And here it causes him to heal people, even though it's in, it's like taking up his time. You know what I mean? Like if if we really like apply our ourselves to this, it'd be like, you know, I love sleep. Right? So that maybe that's why this one's so like, you know, hits me so hard. But it'd be like, you know, I, I have to spend time with a friend who's going through something all night long, even though early in the morning I have a meeting. And even though I don't get any sleep, even though it, it's bad for me, I love somebody enough to do that for them. And Jesus loves these people whom like, he probably didn't know all of them, even on a first... I mean, he does, because he's God. But, like, he, he's... They're not, like, his immediate friends. It's not like all of his disciples are coming to him. You know what I mean? Like, these are people from a town where Simon lives. And so, like, he just it just shows his love, I think. And his love is something that is acting out. Okay, here's another one. We see his emotional care here as he heals this, this, uh, this boy. And I think that in this one look at it as we read it, I think that he's showing love towards the boy's mom. Okay. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain. And his disciples were going along with him, so they're walking, and they were accompanied by a large crowd. There's a bunch of people around. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So, there's this lady. Her husband had already died, because she's a widow. And now her her only son dies. Okay, he's he's probably a man. He was pro- he was probably providing for her, uh, according to the culture. Um, it, it seems like he was a man. So I don't know how old he was. He could have been a young man. Could have been a man. I don't know. But this guy dies, and it's her only son. It's not only her only son, her only way of provision, which she probably doesn't care about at this point because it's her son and he's dead. Okay, uh, and she is. I mean, she's obviously torn up about it because look at what Jesus says. It says. When the Lord saw her, he what? He felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. He said, Do not weep. And he came up and he touched the coffin, and the bearers halted, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Okay? Guess what happens? He arose. Yeah. Okay? Jesus did this because he cared about that woman. Okay, now here's the deal. He's got this huge crowd following him, all these disciples, all these 12 disciples, maybe other followers following him. 
got this huge crowd, and there's this little funeral procession right over here going on, right? They're walking him out. He could have chose to ignore that easily. In fact, most people would have, especially in that culture, right? A rabbi teacher with a large following going near something they're not supposed to touch that's unclean about this little widow who cares about her person in the city. Like, why would he go over there? Because he cared. Because he loved her. Okay? And he healed her son. Okay, I think that shows the love of Jesus. And I think it caused him to heal. This next one. We all love this one, or at least I do. This is John chapter 11. We already looked at this one, and I think it's really good. Okay, and by the way, we're writing all these things down, but like, there's so much of this in the Scripture. Like, These are just ones that I randomly picked out. Okay? There's so much of this in the Scripture. You can go through and you can look and say, what did Jesus do? How did he love people? Okay? Again, this is one of my... I say this about like a bunch of passages, I guess, but this is one of my favorite passages. Okay? So when this is Lazarus, right? Lazarus has died. Jesus waited those two days. Uh, then came, and you know he talked with Martha. He talked with Mary. Okay, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, Mary weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, "Where have you laid him?" And they said, "Lord, come and see." And then the shortest English verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept. He cried. And I I think there could be multiple reasons why he did that. But like I said when we went through this passage, I really think a lot of it has to do because he cares about people. He cares about the pain that Mary and Martha are having right now. Okay, and these other people, because he sees them crying. Jesus saw her weeping. He saw Mary weeping. He asked a question and then he wept. Okay, so... His love for Mary caused him to mourn with those who mourn. It caused him to weep with those who weep. Jesus' love for people caused him to do things. And soon, we're going to see it. We haven't yet, but you guys know where the end of the book is going. Soon, he's going to die for the world and be separated from the Father. Not because he has to. Not because... It's the easiest thing for him to do. As we've seen already in verse 21, he's troubled, and we'll see again in the garden. He doesn't do it because uh, he's going to make money. He doesn't. I, he does it because he loves us, right? End of story. Like, Jesus, his love for people caused him to act. Okay, look at verse 34 in John chapter 13 again. Just as I'm giving you a new commandment, that you love one another... As I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, The kind of love that Jesus shows is not a love that is just verbal. Okay? It's really easy to love certain people in certain ways at certain times. Right? Like You could think of a handful of situations right now where it would be, I can anyway, I can think of a handful of situations right now that I would say, it would be easy for me to love that person. Okay, but Jesus doesn't love when it's easy. I mean, he does love when it's easy. Okay, but he also loves when it's hard, when it's difficult. And in fact, when he dies, like for, and he's separated from the Father, like that's how much he loves. And his love is action-based. It's not feelings-based. It's something that he does. He showed it. He exampled it. And so for us... If we want to really follow the new commandment, that means that I don't love 
you know, somebody just when they're nice, right? Or just when they, you know, aren't bossy, or just when they compliment me, or just when I know they're going to thank me for it. I love the unlovable. Okay, did did Jesus love you? Did, did we talked about this last week? Did Jesus wash Judas's feet? Yeah. And we love the unlovable. We love people even though even when they're mean, even when they're you fill in the blank, okay? Because you know the people that you don't like to love or that's not easy for you to love, and you know when it's not easy for you to love them too. You know, at least I do. I can think of not only people when it's easy to love, but people that I don't like loving. Or people that like when they do certain things, I don't like it and I don't want to love them. Okay? I, I can think of those things. But we we cannot let that hinder us from showing, actively showing love to people. Okay? And don't just say you love that person. Like let's say everybody everybody in here, just think of or write down, but don't show your neighbor. One person that's really hard for you to love or something that a person does that makes it hard for you to love them or just like a time, like a situation where it's hard for you to love somebody, okay? And as you think about that, it'd be really easy to say, oh yeah, I love them, right? (laughs) Words are easy, I mean, to a degree. Words are easy. But what could you do to show them that you love them. Hey, that's when it gets hard. Right? When can you stay up all night even though you have to get up early in the morning to show them? Hey, when can you like wash somebody's feet who are stinky and that? I'm not talking literally here, guys. I'm talking figuratively. Hey, that's what, when we do, do it that way, when we love that way, that's when people are going to look at us and they're going to say, Carter is following Jesus. Zayden is following Jesus. And why are they going to say that? Because they see the love. And they see that what we're doing and how we're loving is the same way that Jesus loved, right? And so they can say, hey, I know he's doing, he's following Jesus because he's doing the same thing or she's doing the same thing that Jesus is doing. And that is loving unconditionally. Which is really hard. Okay? It's really, really hard. Okay, this new commandment was exampled by Jesus. He didn't give him a command that he was too good for. Okay, he loved people and he showed it. People should look at the body of Christ, they should look at the church, and they should know that we're followers of Christ. Okay, they should know that we're followers of Christ. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, because this passage isn't over. Although I feel like that's a good spot to stop. Look at verse 36. So Simon Peter, after he gives this new command of loving, Simon Peter, he he kind of ignores the command and goes back to, hey, Jesus, where are you going? So that's what he asks. He says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Okay, You follow later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Okay, so, so far, Peter says, I want to go where you're going. Okay, he's thinking physically, right? And Jesus is thinking, no, I'm, I'm going to die. 
okay? And Jesus says, one day you are going to follow me, okay? And Peter does. He, he ends up dying, and church tradition says he ends up being crucified upside down, okay? Because he didn't want to be crucified right side up because that would be disrespectful to Jesus, right? But he dies for his faith. Um, he dies for Jesus, so in that light, in that perspective, he did follow Jesus, right? Because that's what Jesus said. You're not, you can't follow me right now, but you will. Okay. Jesus, uh, Peter's thinking physical, though, and he says, "I would lay down my life for you." Okay, which is kind of true, right? Because he does eventually, but it's kind of not true, which is what Jesus says. Look at it. Jesus replies. He says, "Will you lay down your life for me?" Truly, truly, I say to you. A rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. And here's what I think about this. It may not matter what I think about it. But Peter, does he love Jesus? Yes. Yeah, he does. Does he think that his love for Jesus is greater than it is? Yes. Yeah, right, I think he does, right? Because And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you're going to lay down your life for me? You're going to deny me three times. Okay. Now, he will eventually lay down his life for him. He says, right now, you're going you're to deny me three times. Before the rooster even crows. Okay? And so for us, okay, we need to make sure that in regards to everything, but especially in regards to this new commandment of loving people like Jesus, we need to make sure that we don't blind ourselves by telling ourselves that we're good at loving people. You know what I mean? Like we can't just say like, yeah, we're good at loving people and like not worry about it. Or like, well, somebody told me one time I was good at loving people, so like I don't really have to even think about it. I just do it naturally. You know what I mean? Like, we need to actually check ourselves, like Peter should have, uh, and he does eventually, but we need to check ourselves and say, hey, do I really love the way I think I do? Or is my love yelling at my brother because that's the way I would want to be yelled at if I was playing basketball? You know, that whole time I was, I was yelling at my brother and being like, Caleb, you've got to do better. You gotta do better. You can't. This is terrible. You stink, right? And that whole time, I thought that was inspiring him to play better basketball, just because that's the way I that's the way I am, right? And that whole time, I thought I was loving him well, or I thought I was doing the right thing, motivating him well, whatever, for the example's sake. But I wasn't. And at times in our life, we can think that we're loving well when in reality, we're maybe not be we're maybe not loving as well as we think we are. Right, And so it's important to examine ourselves and look at our own hearts and say, okay, am I loving people and loving God the way I should be? This is, <clears throat> I think this is what I'm going to do a uh, youth Sunday lesson on, but turn to Psalm 139. Because I think this is powerful. And there's other passages as well in the, in the New Testament that we can look at. Psalm 139. It's page 691 in my Bible, which has no reference to any of your Bibles in the AD. I don't see that in the saying, but you can, you can find it. Also known as Psalms, some people. Psalms 139. Okay, Psalms 139, look at verse 23. So this is David. Okay, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I think we could pray this in our lives, and it's something that I've been trying to do more here these past couple weeks, is pray this in my life so that God, so that I can be honest with myself and say, God, is there something in my life that is hurtful? Okay, and that doesn't mean 
something that's going to physically harm you necessarily or anything like that. I think that what this means is not only, I think what David's getting at, we don't, we're not going to teach on this right now, but I think what David's getting at is not only sins of commission, but sins of omission. Are there things in my life that I'm not doing well enough that could lead me down a path that is towards the wicked, right? Rather than towards the way of everlasting God's way, right? And so with this thought of how am I going to love others like Jesus, we could even pray this and say, God, search me, know me, test me, reveal to me if I'm loving people the way you want me to love people. Because that's a desire in my life. Right? We could pray that. I sat down and prayed this the other day. And uh, not specifically about loving, but just in general, if there's any, any way, you know. And, and I realized that, like, like, there was. There was harmful things in my life. You know what I mean? And they were like little sprouts, little things that were coming up in my life that were harmful, uh, that were sinful. And I didn't even see them. I didn't even recognize them, really. But when I prayed it, God showed it to me, and I was like, you know what, God, you're right. I'm, I'm in sin. And I, I didn't even really realize it. You know, and so it's a scary, it's a scary thing to pray. Right? If you're, if you're going to pray it honestly. It's a scary thing to pray because that means God's going to show you your sin. Right? And if you're like me, it might be a long list. Right? It might be scarier than you think. Okay? But... When he shows us that sin, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? So that, that forgiveness, it's complete, comprehensive. It's, it's a compassionate forgiveness that, that forgives us of everything. Right? And so, it's not scary to pray it. Because we know that God will forgive us. Right? And we can get in fellowship with him. So, Application, so I don't continue rambling on forever. People will see that you are a follower of Christ if you love like Christ. So do you love like Jesus, or do you love the way you want to love? Okay, Do you love like Jesus the way he loved, or do you love the way you want to love? Okay, So let's bow our heads and close your eyes. Okay, We're going to pray in just a second, but as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want you to pick one person that you need to love better this week. Okay? One person that you need to love better this week and one way that you can actively show them love. Okay? So one person that you can love better and how can you show them love? Not just like not just like which cuz this is what I do cuz I'm I'm like a I'll do the least amount I can. That's what I would say if somebody said that I'd be like, "Okay, I picked the person and I will love them better." The end. But pick out the person that you're going to love and how you're going to do it. Okay, when I did this earlier this week, I didn't want to do it. Because there is somebody, there are people in my life that like are hard to love, and I don't really want to love them. And in my heart, I want to say, okay, yeah, I love them. But to actually do something about it, like, I don't really want to do that. Okay, so pick one person that you need to love better this week in one way that you're going to show them love this week. All right, let's pray. Well, that's all for True to the Bible podcast this time. We hope that you enjoyed this lesson. If you did, or if you want to listen to some other lessons on True to the Bible podcast, make sure that you subscribe 
or like this podcast. If you have any questions about anything that you heard or you're interested in how you can be saved, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Again, thanks for joining us for this lesson, and we hope to hear from you soon.